Well, we've reached the final week of the Epistle to uh, the Romans, and we are now in the uh, moral exhortation section of the Epistle. The first 11 epistles were theological, and I'm sorry, the first 11 chapters were theological, and then from 12, 13, 14, and 15, uh, those chapters, they're uh, moral exhortation. And we're going to be covering that successively up until Saturday, and Saturday is our last day. We'll be in Romans 16. But we're in uh, chapter 12 today, and um, the, it's important to understand there's a very intimate connection between the theological section of Romans and the moral section of Romans. One is immediately connected to the other. And uh, I would say that the bond, there's, there's many connections, but I would say uh, one of the most prominent, of course, is the, the virtue of charity, the virtue of love. So if we go back to the theological section of Romans in chapter 5, he says, uh, St. Paul speaks about the love of God, which has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Ghost that has been given to us. And all throughout the first 11 chapters, we've been learning about grace. It's really one long kind of theological dissertation on grace and justification in grace. And uh, it's important to uh, understand that charity is an integral part of this whole process of justification. So that when God makes uh, a man or a woman just, when he justifies a soul, uh, he pours into it along with grace the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and love. And when we sin grievously, we are sinning ultimately against charity. And we lose not only grace, but we lose charity. Um, and uh, conversely, if we, if we remain in the friendship of God, if we remain in His grace, we have in our hearts the love of God. But that love needs to be expressed outwardly towards our neighbor. It can't remain theoretical. Uh, I love God, but... I really don't care about my neighbor. It's got to be, be manifested in acts. And we love our neighbor in God and for God's sake. And that's what we begin to see here in these uh, latter chapters of Romans. Also, I can uh, draw your attention to uh, this theme or idea of the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Uh, it says, we are, uh, though many, we are one body and individually parts of one another. We're, we're members of one another. Other translations say we're members of one another. That bond of love is so strong that the, the best analogy we can give is if, you know, one member of the body of Christ is like a, this, this section of the finger, and then here's another member. We're members of one another. One's a finger, one's a hand. That's how close we need to be if we are truly to uh, live in love. Now, I think it's also helpful to reflect upon the actual, the circumstances in which St. Paul is teaching. Uh, if we can rewind time almost 2,000 years ago, uh, St. Paul, the, the churches that he established and that he preached to, 
um, say the Church of Rome, for example, which he's writing to, it would have been broken down into many, many individual house churches. So the churches, any, any given Eucharistic uh, liturgy or assembly, would have assembled and gathered in a private member's house. So just there would have been a wealthy member of the church, and that person would have sponsored, essentially, that Eucharistic liturgy. And uh, so there would be a kind of a large room, and they would gather there for the Eucharist. Now, uh, scholars like uh, Cardinal uh, Murphy O'Connor, they, they estimate really no more than about 40 people. So any given Eucharist, and they usually would have celebrated it very, very late Saturday night. Um, and uh, so at the most, we're talking about 40 people. At that time, now with 40, and, and there would have been no public walk-ins. It was all it was by invite only, so it wasn't like a big door was open. Everybody just walked in if they wanted to. So you can imagine that things were not, there was no anonymity. Okay, today we can kind of be anonymous. You can kind of sneak into church, and, you know, just kind of hang out in the back and then shoot out when you want. But uh, but at that time, it was by invites, and uh, it would have been about 40 people. Everybody would have known you know, everybody else very, very intimately. And, um, you know, there's goods and bads to that. But the, the, the goods um, is that uh, people understood that they were a member. Membership and identity was very strong. And I wonder today, you know, with our changed uh, historical circumstances and just kind of evolution of the liturgy and the evolution of the, of the church, if we can't, you know, drive benefit from meditating upon that more intimate uh, social setting back in the primitive times of the church, if we can just kind of imaginatively place ourselves back there and think, okay, what would that be like if there were just, say, 40 people in a given uh, celebration of the Eucharist? What would that be like, 40 people? Maybe I'd have to be a little bit more transparent. Maybe I'd have to be a little bit more um, intimate, face-to-face -face connection, have a little bit more care for our neighbor. And so can we sort of imaginatively uh, live our current church structure as if it were just those 40 people, those intimate, that intimate section of 40 people? Can we do that? You know, it's a thought experiment. What would we be doing differently? Would there be more communication? Would there be more hospitality? Would there be more generosity? Would there be more availability? Would there be more transparency? So I just leave that uh, thought with you today. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm uh, very excited to be continuing to go through the uh, Epistle of Romans with you. And we're advancing uh, through it. And we're almost done. So... Um, let us uh, draw close to our Lord and to one another as members of the body of Christ, especially as we go to uh, celebrate the Eucharistic body.